as I was just laying out for the children this morning, brings us to the final Sunday in the 12 days of this season that we call Christmas. Even though the world outside the church has, for the most part, packed up all those Christmas lights, boxed up the decorations, taken down the tree, and now I know a lot of you have done that as well, here in the church we are continuing to celebrate this great birth of Christ, the Word that was made flesh and dwelt among us. And this morning, here in this place, as I just said to the children, it's still okay to say Merry Christmas one more time. And we can allow our eyes and our hearts to ponder the crash and its image of the nativity here in front of this altar for one more Sunday. Of course, as many of you already are aware, the season of Christmas always finishes with the story we just heard from the Gospel of Matthew, of the arrival of the Magi from a far and distant land in the East, and of their adoration for the infant Jesus. For most of the world, this story was already included in the Christmas narrative back on the 25th of December. But for our church, it is a separate occasion altogether, happening well after the angels and shepherds and the first silent night, and well after Christ was born and laid in the manger by his blessed mother. For this morning's mysterious magi, taken from the Greek word magos or magoi, words which in English are much closer translated to the esoteric mage or magus or magician, as opposed to simple wise men. For them, there is a journey to be made at a great distance that would have taken them a long time in which to travel and reach their destination. And so Matthew's gospel does not put them in Bethlehem in the moment or at the moment of Christ's birth. Chapter 2 of the gospel this morning simply reveals that the Magi in the east observed his star at its rising beginning the journey to Judea only after they had witnessed this astrological sign in the sky. When they do finally arrive from their distant country into Jerusalem, and after they stop to call upon the Jewish king of that region, King Herod the Great, the gospel tells us that only then does the star lead them, not to a stable, which we're familiar with from Luke's Christmas gospel, but instead to a house where the Magi finally enter in and find Jesus with his blessed mother Mary. We can only assume that this must have been a good while after the Holy Family's first night in that stable and must be when the Holy Family had taken their new baby out of that place and found a place to rest with Joseph's kinfolk in Bethlehem. So all of this means that today's celebration and the story is truly a separate event altogether from the birth of Christ. And therefore, here in the church at least, it has become the first story that we hear at the conclusion of the 12 full days of Christmas. In fact, today it is this very biblical story of the arrival of the Magi that begins a whole new season for us in the church, the season which is known as the season after the Epiphany, from the Greek word epiphania, meaning simply a great and powerful manifestation. For as the angels announce Christ's birth to the Jewish shepherds on Christmas morning, it is the star and the Magi who follow it that first brings this great and powerful manifestation of the Son of God's arrival beyond that to the entire world. 
For just as the epiphany of the birth of this great king and savior first manifests itself to the astrologers in a distant land outside the Jewish world of the birth of Christ, so it sets forward the movement that will begin to open up Christ's saving grace to people everywhere, to Jews and to Gentiles, to all cultures, ethnicities, and nationalities. Reopening God, who starts with God's chosen people, the Hebrews, to all of God's children in creation. The unquestionable first revealing of Christ as the Messiah, the one God-man coming to live in the midst of us and to begin the process that can and will bring man back to God, their creator. And this week, as I was thinking about all of this again, this truly powerful story of the epiphany in the Bible with all its deeper components which it carries to reveal its message and meaning to those of every century in the church, I couldn't help but think of what a great blessing and epiphany we are having this first Sunday of the new year to have these three kings making their appearance and to also have three new children of God being baptized into the church on this very day. You see, this isn't usually how it goes because next Sunday is the feast of the baptism of Jesus. And that's the day our prayer book rightfully identifies as the proper Sunday to have baptisms in the church. But this year, thanks to little Katie Betts' grandmother and grandfather visiting for Christmas from the United Kingdom, a good long distance away, we decided it might be okay to bend the rules just a little and move the baptisms up one Sunday. So please don't call and turn me into the bishop. <laughs> and because of that, we're being given this great gift of finishing the joyful Christmas season with the joy that can only come from three beautiful children being baptized. And you know what? I've thought about this, and I'm convinced that if the Magi were here, they'd be just fine with sharing their day with these three children. Why would they not want to be the purveyors of gifts to all the people of the world through the beautiful baptism that comes with children? And I can't help but love that we have that holy number three lining up so much of what's going on this morning. Maybe that little bit of Christian numerology that's caught my attention may, might make me a magi, which I'd be totally fine with. But really, three is a hard number to miss when it shows up in the church and in Christianity, isn't it? I mean, our very understanding of God comes to us in the complicated theology of the Holy Trinity. One God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, one in three, three in one. And without a doubt, that important number of three is already built into today's commemoration of the Magi because the traditional view that comes from the early church understands these Magi as being in the presence of three, three wise men or three kings. Of course, if you go back and reread Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, you will immediately see that the Bible never actually tells us anything about how many of those magi were there following that star and journeying to find Jesus in Bethlehem. We certainly know that there were definitely more than one of them because the gospel uses the plural noun for the magi. But that's as far as we get with the information. But the number three does show up in the conclusion of this morning's story in Matthew's gospel if you're just willing to pay attention and do the count. For the adoration of the Magi finishes with the presentation 
of those famous gifts. Three gifts to be exact. Verse 11 of the second chapter of Matthew says, On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they knelt and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chests, and I love that, opening their treasure chests like they're a bunch of pirates out traveling, they offered Jesus gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So these three gifts lead to the very sensible conclusion by the church that each of those magi must have given Jesus one of the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Therefore, there were three gifts, and so there must be three magi, so saith the church. And out of that eventually comes even more interesting finds, the names of the three kings, which we'll talk about tonight when we gather for the burning of the greens. Melchior, Gaspar, and Balthazar, ancient kings from Persia, from India, and from Arabia. This then brings us finally to that piece of the puzzle for the hymn that we all know well and that we just sang together. We three kings of Orient are, bearing gifts we travel so far, field and fountain, moor and mountain, following yonder star. And so this morning, in addition to those names of those ancient three kings or wise men or magi or whatever it is you want to call them, we're adding to our epiphany here at All Saints the names of Katie, Lily, and Gray. Two queens and one king, to be more correct, in the ever-expanding kingdom that belongs to God, sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism, and on this day marked as Christ's own forever. I'm not sure if any strange men from a distant land, and I'm not counting the UK, showed up in the hospital room with expensive gifts on the day that Lily, Katie, and Gray came into the world. But I tell you what, I'm 100% sure that the light of God, which those ancient magi were seeking, was present with them at the day they entered into our world. In fact, I bet anyone who was there with the ability to look into their beautiful faces caught that glimpse of how incredible God creates us and how no matter what we are struggling with, if we can get to that place and look in those faces, we feel sudden joy and awe and happiness to be in the presence of something so beautiful and so incredible. I know that the light they brought into the lives of their family cast out any darkness that might have been looming in the background on those days, giving a great sense of hope and promise and blessings. I know that because I got to be there pretty soon after at least two of them were born. And I also know that because I got to see it in my own three daughters when they were born. And the older they get, the more amazed I am by what these little ones can tell us about life and about God and just about everything else we adults are seeking and longing for. Brothers and sisters, I'm here this morning to tell you that the light these little children bring into this world and into this church is our greatest solid living example of the true light of Christ which shines in the darkness of this world to bring us hope and love and joy in what otherwise can feel like a dry and desolate desert in the place that surrounds us in our lives. It is a little fraction of the greatest story ever told of angels coming to the shepherds to proclaim God's removal of fear and salvation for a fallen world. It is a tiny example of the star that was spotted rising in the midnight sky by those magi 
Men who were hungry for God because seeking out God is in our very DNA as human beings. Seeking a sign of something that's greater than this material world and the ever-fading parts of this physical place that never give us fully everything we want and need in our seeking in the short lives that God has given us. Friends, whether you want to accept it right now or not, we need this light more than anything else and this deep manifestation of love and hope that comes in Jesus Christ. We convince ourselves so much in this world that we ourselves have the ability to take care of everything we need to find happiness. And then we wonder why everything we get never fully gives us that happiness that we thought it would. That no matter how hard we work out, our bodies can't stay strong forever. That no matter how much we buy or how smart we think we are or solid a footing we think we're standing on, everything eventually begins to wear out. It loses its taste. It stops performing the way that we thought that it could and that it would. We wonder where the joy and the light might be in those moments when all the time the joy and the light has been calling us. It has been reaching out to us like that star that rose in the night, wanting so badly to lead us to something that provides light in whatever darkness we face, that provides hope wherever our despair is and love in whatever emptiness and loss that we face. I'm here to tell you this morning that the door is open for us to walk through. The gift offered there is so much greater than that gold and frankincense and myrrh. You can get a glimpse of it and you can feel it this morning in the faces of these three beautiful children of God and all the others that we're so blessed with in this church that are raising a ruckus and being here in our presence this morning. And you don't have to be a child to have it. Nearly every one of you in this church has already been through the waters of baptism. You've already been sealed with the Holy Spirit. You've been marked as Christ's own forever. And within that is the light that will take you to the end of your life and sustain you beyond that. And you haven't been baptized yet. We can take care of that for you. (laughs) Please take that light as we move out of this season of Christmas, hold on to it. Realize that that light only comes to us from our interior life, from the spirit that God gives us and the love that comes to this world through Jesus Christ. Put it to use in this new year. Let go of the material and hold on to Jesus because Jesus is the greatest gift we've ever received.